see my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. That comment line number, 618-223-8382. You can call it any time of day or night with any of your thoughts on something you've heard on Issues Etc. Or if you haven't heard it and you want to hear it, we like that too. 618-223-8382. And our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Talkback at issuesetc.org. Might you be sporting your new glasses? I'm actually not wearing my new glasses at this moment. They're sitting right on the table in front of me. So I actually got two new pairs of glasses. Craig has already informed me, as he has with every new pair of glasses I've ever gotten, that it looks like I borrowed them from his grandmother. Big deal. And uh, But I'm wearing, the, I'm wearing my computer glasses now because the distance on my bifocals on the new ones is intended for, well, what everybody does a lot of time looking at my phone. But my computer is a little farther away, so I actually be able have to be able to see that. So, so how would you describe the new glasses to our listeners? Maybe we should take a picture and put it on Facebook and let the listeners decide, thumbs up or thumbs down on the new glasses. I, I'm going to wear them no matter what the listeners say. I would describe. I, I have a I have a two pair of new glasses. One of them look a lot like these glasses. They're kind of somebody said John Lennon style. Old. I think I think Craig called them Harry Potter. Yeah, well, maybe Harry Potter. I don't know. And then the the other pair that I have are have are kind of more like uh, what do they call it? The old black frames that pe- people used to wear, you know, the kind that we all grew up with our dads wearing. But they're not black; they're they're clear plastic, so they're a little more on the fashionable side. So why not just go old school? Why didn't you just go? You can't find black. those anymore. Oh, really? I, I'm completely constrained by what the fashion the frame fashion industry dictates I have to choose from. So I the I would like to have more choices but when I walked in there you just have only so many choices. So and thanks again to listener Bruce in Louisville, Kentucky for absolutely. buying new glasses for Wilkin and Schwartz. Email. Lots and lots of email on our interview with Dr. Andrew Steinman first, on before, are there gaps in Genesis genealogies. Before you read it both you and I were completely surprised that this rather obscure topic that I considered completely uncontroversial would get as much negative response from our listeners as it has. The last thing, if someone says, what did you talk about this week that listeners are not going to like and really not like, the last thing would have been our conversation on gaps in, in the two genealogies in the book of Genesis. But we were surprised. Yes. Let's just read one of them. This comes from Matt. I was just listening to Dr. Andrew Steinman's interview on possible gaps in the genealogies found in Genesis, etc. Although I have always taken those passages literally, I will admit he made a fairly compelling argument, especially with regard to Hezekiah and his sons that would go into exile. 
But I don't see why Methuselah dying the year of the flood is so strange. It makes perfect sense, actually, to me that God would bring him home sometime in the year before the flood occurs. I will admit that I don't have much knowledge of ancient civilizations and how accurate their dating of events might be. I wish you would ask someone from Answers in Genesis to come on your program and give their best rebuttal on this subject. Thanks for all you do to build up the body of Christ. Thanks for the feedback, and thanks for listening, Matt. Matt, thank you very much for listening. And now, Matt's is kind of mild, kind of what what were you guys trying to say? We got a lot more negative email as well, and hopefully we will uh, be able to have Dr. Steinman on to respond to some of it. We have reached out to other Old Testament scholars to kind of get their evaluation on the subject. And so we're kind of looking at the subject behind the scenes. With regard to the death of Methuselah in the year of the flood, which is how it would have to come out, I think what Dr. Steinman was arguing against was not that he it was inconceivable that he would die in the year that the flood came, but that he would die in the flood. If you go back and listen very carefully, he said to have Methuselah die in the flood would make him an unbeliever. So I asked the question, what's Methuselah? If, if he died in the flood, why isn't he on the ark if he is, in fact, one of those people being traced the promise? And the bigger point that I think often gets lost in Dr. Steinman's argument is there's another way to read these genealogies, not only chronology, not only in terms of the chronology, are they continuous links in a chain or is it a kind of the chain where we're being showed this link and then further down the chain, that link, and then further down the chain, that important link, which is his argument. But really what the genealogy is intended to show us is the descendants here, the, the kind of the lineage of the promise that was given first to Adam and Eve and then kind of came to its fruition in the promise made to Abraham. That's his bigger point there. And I think that often gets lost. There, let me assure you, Dr. Steinman, and I think we, I think we made this abundantly clear in this conversation. Dr. Steinman isn't coming up with some novel, never heard of before theory. The idea about there being gaps in the genealogies in Genesis five and eleven go way back in the church, even to the ancient church fathers. They recognized that there were time problems there, and they had to find ways of reading it that would make sense. The grammar that he uses to make his point about the verb to begat, usually translated begat. This is not, he's not playing tricks with the language. He's, this is standard Hebrew grammar that he's using here. And he knows because he's a professor of Hebrew, standard Hebrew grammar. So he's not introducing any new idea, although it may be new to you. It's, it's an idea that actually, if I go back to my seminary training, I'm pretty sure that it was an idea that was considered a possibility. Maybe not the explanation, but a possibility on how you read those genealogies. But his greater point is, if we're tracing the promise of Jesus Christ from Adam through the book of Genesis, it is a very good explanation to say why only certain people in the genealogy are mentioned. By the way, other genealogies obviously have gaps in them too in Holy Scripture. There, there, are, there are genealogies in the New Testament that we know for a fact skip some people because they're not making a point about who actually begat who— but who in this line of begatting is the recipient of the promise? So here's an email. We love listening to issues, et cetera, soundbite of the week, usually on the way home from church as we vote as a family. That's kind of neat. Oh, they're voting as a family in yeah, the car? Yeah, that's neat. We do urge you not to include cursing as you did with Dr. Anthony Esselin's soundbite at the end. 
and did not see the point of including it. The little ones particularly could have done without this ungodly example. This is the first time we have heard such on your program and do forgive. May God continue to bless you richly. Thanks for the email and thanks for listening. Well, both Jeff and I bear responsibility for letting that one by. Often what we're doing when we're putting Soundbite of the Week together, it's being done in a rather hurried fashion. But that week it was not being done in a hurried fashion. We got it done well in advance. So both Jeff and I vetted the soundbite and I think Jeff probably is the one who cut it up and I'm the one I listened to it several times I had to because I was doing some production with it so we should our our better judgment should have prevailed and left the his his final curse word out it wouldn't it wouldn't have taken away from the sound it was the last two seconds it was literally two seconds of soundbite it didn't really add to it so right so the listener's absolutely right we're going through listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. That comment line, 618-223-8382. And the email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him. And whereas we have fallen to temptation time and again, Jesus did not. Read the March issue of the Luther Witness to learn all about fasting and temptation. Read about how God called his people to return to him with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and learn about how Jesus gives us his perfect obedience in place of our sin. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. Concordia University Chicago is committed to keeping college affordable for all, and especially for LCMS Lutherans. We have scholarships available specifically for students who are LCMS members. This is Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia Chicago, asking you to encourage your student to check out Concordia Chicago at cuchicago.edu. And if you are interested in supporting these scholarships, please find us online at foundation at cuchicago.edu. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. Lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Luther Academy. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Wayne writes in regards to our 24-7 sacred music station, LutheranPublicRadio.org. 
Many thanks for the hymns that you're playing for the Lenten season. Please minimize the amount of chanting. I cannot understand the words if chanted. Uh, First of all, we do want everyone to understand the words. That was actually one of the primary goals of the uh, catalog that we put together for Lutheran Public Radio, which is our 24-7 sacred music station. We wanted choral music where people could, in English for the most part, some sometimes you can't have English, but for the most part in English where people could understand the words. Now, we are restrained, constrained by uh, the music that is available to, to us, although we have an enormous sacred music library, probably the largest anywhere, I would think, other than maybe the Smithsonian or something. But Chanting is a historical fact of the church. So if we're going to play sacred music from all centuries of the Christian era, we will have some chanting there. It's just part of what is sacred music. But we do want you to understand the words uh, very much so. So if you hear it, especially during the Lenten season, there might be some things that sound more like chanting. It might simply be the way that the the music is scored to make it sound a little bit more like chanting. I would point out this much, and that is the 16th century reformer Martin Luther had no problem with chanting. He he chanted himself. He he based several of his hymn tunes on ancient chant tones, and uh, it was the practice to chant. So you may not it may not be your cup of tea, but it is a f- historical fact of sacred music. Hello, Reverend Wilkins and Jeff and the rest of Issues, etc., this is the uh, Porch Patriarch ex cathedra from my secret unloving bunker in the Midwest. I recently listened to your segment with Dr. Anthony Esselin, which was just excellent, on the drive of society and, quite frankly, the Church to feminize boys and men. I think Dr. Esselin is 100% correct about this, and he's right that society will certainly actively try to punish and destroy anyone that goes against this narrative. What I don't understand is why we don't hear more clear voices like Dr. Eflin on issues, etc., sometimes talking about this. We talk about abortion, which is very important. We talk about LGBT things, and of course the scripture. But this is one of those root causes that has destroyed the church and society. And I've observed that the only people that seem to speak about it without caveat, equivocation, and quite frankly, hand-wringing, are sometimes women on issues, etc. Why are, are our own pastors in the LCMS so seemingly terrified to approach this subject without 1,000 disclaimers about how they're not misogynists or something like that? It seems to be part of the problem, but thank you very much for continuing to be the flagship and blazing torch of confessional liturgical Lutheranism and big shout out too to Pastor Whedon, who's doing a tremendous job with uh, the Word of the Lord and Dearest Forever. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Couldn't agree with you more. Pastor Whedon is doing a fantastic job with the Word of the Lord Endures Forever, that 15 minute daily verse by verse Bible study that he hosts here at Lutheran Public Radio. With the, the Esselin interview, actually got mixed reviews. Uh, some people found it very offensive, some people found it a breath of fresh air, as you do. As well, I think one of the brilliant things that Dr. Esselin has done, and he's almost uniquely qualified to do this, we were talking about this the other day, why is it that these two guests, Dr. Anthony Esselin and Dr. Jean Edward Veith, are able to see so clearly and not only diagnose but also offer some explanation and some some remedy so clearly our society today and what it is what it is becoming. And the common denominator between these two great men, 
is that they are students of literature. They're reading literature from an earlier time, and then they're asking themselves those questions, what has changed and why? And that's what Esalen does in that book. He simply walks through diaries and literature from an earlier time in American society and, and asks, why is boyhood no longer like this? What has changed and what is society dictating now for boys and men that have so radically changed in the course of less than 100 years, so radically changed what we think about boys? Lay aside the issue of toxic masculinity. This is just masculinity that people are objecting to. So I think they're able to get a perspective through that dedication to the literature, to literature that people who don't have that expertise simply don't see. And if you haven't listened to Pastor Whedon's daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, start today. The text of the so-called Doubting Thomas, it's killer. And you can listen at thewordendoors.org or on the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. And next week, I think it's next Wednesday, Craig, the 12th, it's going to start studying the book of Hebrews. We'll have a little more listener email and the comment line right after this. Then Pastor Paul McCain will join us. We'll pick up our series on the Lutheran Confessions with an introduction to the Solid Declaration. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Repentance and forgiveness, sin and grace, law and gospel, more than cliches, real preaching for real people in need of hearing the real Christ. Christ for you in the divine service at St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, Illinois, where we gather every Saturday night at 6 and on the Lord's Day, Sunday mornings at 7.45 and 10. Look for the Church of the Neon Cross on I-55 between exits 30 and 33. Find us on the web, stpaullutheranchurchhamill.org. St. Paul Lutheran Church of Hamill, where there is the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation for the people of God. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. For the next few minutes, we'll be going through a little more listener email with you on this Thursday afternoon. Then Pastor Paul McCain joins us. Our series on the Lutheran Confessions picks back up. The one part of the Lutheran Confessions that we have not yet done is a solid declaration of the formula of Concord. It's been years and years since we dealt with the epitome. We're going to be dealing with the solid declaration in hour two of Issues Etc. Caleb listens in Milwaukee, and he writes, speaking of Milwaukee, I just got a text message from my brother. He says that the Milwaukee Brewers are about to sign Christian Yelich to a nine-year, $215 million contract. Nine years? Yeah, he's really young, too, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think he's in Man, his prime. I, I, would, I would hold Cardinals on to that never guy go after forever. him. He's in his prime. Yeah, that's true. We like the guys, he's that, too are, young. We got like the guys that are 30, 32 plus. So-called seasoned players. <laughs> yeah, the veterans. Yes, exactly. The crafty veterans. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caleb, he's in Milwaukee. Congratulations if, you, you, if you're a Brewer fan on re-signing Christian Yelich. 
Caleb writes, I'm currently listening to Pastor Bender's Issues Etc. episodes on Lutheran catechesis and baptism. He is one of my favorite guests of yours. Pastor Bender has mentioned multiple times that those who were baptized by John the Baptist were not rebaptized. For example, in episode 0283 of this year, beginning at the time marker 4940, good job, attention to details there, Caleb, he reinforces this again and says John's baptism is in continuity with Christian baptism. In light of this, can you or Pastor Bender help make sense of Acts 19, 1-7? That came to mind as I was listening. It would seem this is an example of rebaptism after already receiving John's baptism. What are your thoughts? Thanks for listening in Milwaukee, Caleb. We spoke extensively with Pastor Bender about that very account, I believe probably in a later episode. If you keep listening to those, you'll come across it. He has an excellent, excellent explanation. But the short version of it is in Acts chapter 19, Paul runs across someone, uh, several individuals that have been baptized. They believe with John's baptism, but they don't know of the Holy Spirit. Not, not only have they not received the Holy Spirit, they don't even know that the Holy Spirit exists. So Pastor Bender says, what did they actually receive? Did they actually receive John's baptism? And the answer is no. John's baptism comes explicitly with the promise of the Holy Spirit to follow. And John's baptism, Pastor Bender says, he actually talks more about the Holy Spirit than he talks about Jesus when he's preaching. So if you don't know the Holy Spirit and you received a baptism that was allegedly John's baptism, you didn't get John's baptism. They got something they thought was John's baptism. And that is why Paul will then baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not a rebaptism because they were never truly baptized. It's akin to, say, someone who receives a Mormon baptism that's not in the name of the Trinity. They will be baptized, not rebaptized, but baptized for the first time in the name of the Trinity. Are you capable of answering an email in two minutes? Yes. Okay. Lindsay's. By the way, thank you, Lindsay. Dear Pastor, why did God put the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden? Thank you for your brevity, Lindsay. We don't know why he placed the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. We know why he placed the tree of life there so that they might eat and live forever. That's made clear in the text. But we do know why he... We do know reason, reasons that he didn't place it there. He did not place it there to tempt them. He did not place it there for them to eat of. He did not place it there, you know, as kind of a test for them. None of those things are supported by the scripture. Why he did it is in the hidden counsel of God, but he didn't do it to trick them, to tempt them or that they may eventually eat of it. In other words, God did not place it there so that they would fall into sin. Why he did, in his infinite wisdom, he will tell us one day in the resurrection. But until then, we have to be happy with the knowledge that he has provided a way out from the temptation that Adam and Eve failed in Jesus Christ. So there are, there's a big question mark right there at the beginning of the Bible as to why God did this. If anyone tells you they can tell you why, they probably are giving you the wrong answer, but we know it was not to tempt them. It was not to test them. It was not so that they would eat of it because he had promised them, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. 